0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Survival Show podcast, where it's our job to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to prepare for almost any emergency, crisis, disaster, or life-altering event. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. So every week, I'll bring you a conversation with a forward-thinking, world-class expert in an area of practical survival, emergency preparedness, contingency medicine, leadership, or personal development, all to help you attain your fullest potential and increase your survival IQ. And guys, today you're in for a real treat as we begin an important new 10-part series with Mr. Craig Cottle based on his excellent book, Extreme Wilderness Survival. So today we're going to discuss three proven systems of survival, the five pillars of preparedness, mindset, skills, tactics slash teamwork gear and I'm going to add supplies onto this list and before we're all done Craig and I are going to do a speed review to show you two essential pieces of everyday carry gear that you should have on you at all times so stay tuned to the end to discover what this gear is but before we get into all this great content with Craig Let's talk about your food security plan. In recent years, we've all witnessed a significant rise in food prices. The future of food availability and affordability remains uncertain, making it critical to have a food preparedness and security plan. One of the most effective ways to ensure your food security is through freeze drying your own food. It's like having money in the bank, but in this case, it's food. Freeze drying allows you to stockpile food for long periods up to 25 years, ensuring you're prepared for any eventuality. My wife, Karen, and I have been freezing leftovers, garden produce, wild edibles, herbs, surplus food, meat, eggs, desserts, and a lot more for about three years now, and you can too. So right now, my friends at Harvest Right are offering you, our survival show podcast tribe, a fantastic deal on a premium freeze dryer with upgraded capacity, an industrial pump, a DIY starter kit, and free shipping when you use our link at ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze for a limited time. Also, you can enter to win a $2,895 medium freeze dryer using our link ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze. Don't get caught off guard when the next food crisis hits. Secure your family's food future today by getting an incredible deal on a home freeze dryer at ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze. All right, let's get into the show with Craig. Mr. Craig Cottle, dude, it is, it's been a while. You're sporting it like a, been a, while. a sweet beard there, dude.
1: Hey. It's all about the style, baby. It's all about the style.
0: So for you guys who don't know, Craig and I started this podcast, man, it's been a few years ago. So if you actually like Craig and what he has to say today, we've got, I don't know, there's probably 60 or 70 podcasts and manly musings and all that sort of kind of stuff in the archives with Ultimate Survival Tip, or I'm sorry, the Survival Show podcast. Uh, where you can check out those. It's all good information. In fact, we're bringing back kind of a best of TSS now since we have an archive and uh, you're going to hear Craig in some of those. But dude, so like for people who don't know you and they should, can you tell them why they should and where you came from, what you do and how you got to this point?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if people should know me, but I'm glad that people do know me. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, we started the school that I own and run called Nature Reliant School in 2006. Basically, just teaching some friends and family uh, things related to survival, woodsmanship, and how to be an outdoors person, how to be safe, uh, all the things that go along with that. As Nature Reliant School, it just kind of blew up two or three years after that in a good way, meaning. Um, survival TV happened, survival YouTube happened, and there was a lot of attention that was put on what I call survival or what most people call survival. I typically call it safety and survival, but, um, so we got some attention from that just because of, you know, just the attention on the topic, um, that grew, I worked with a couple of companies, gear companies, uh, as a consultant to help them develop kits and survival kits and the things that go along with it, Dan's Depot, which became Omega gear, uh, and Dan's Depot was the catalyst for a lot of things that Nature Reliance School now does. They're the ones that pushed me to go to YouTube and do some things there. Uh, they're the ones that really encouraged me to write books uh, or write a book. Now I've written eight. So um, it, that's, that's kind of what got us started. But now we, we teach a large number of civilians throughout the year on topics relating to safety and survival, man tracking, nature immersion, land navigation, uh, bushcraft, all the things that go along with being outdoors. Uh, I also have contracts with the federal government, uh, both military, federal law enforcement, as well as state government, uh, particularly fish and wildlife. And I teach several different courses for different universities here in the southeast. Um, obviously the ones here in my own state, University of Kentucky, EKU, uh, Kentucky State, all these different universities here. I teach programs for wildlife managers, land managers, uh, those courses range from, you know, wildlife tracking to safety and survival uh, as and navigation and stuff of that sort. So, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time outside. I write uh, a lot. Um, got 20 articles coming down the pipe for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life in the next two months uh, on top of I'm writing another book right now on bushcraft. So, yeah, we stay pretty busy.
0: Nice. And being a Kentucky boy, you basically grew up in the woods, huh?
1: I did. Uh, I was very fortunate that my dad was a hunter and he liked to camp. He wasn't much of a survivalist uh, as what most people in today's world that that you and I are involved in would call survival. But I guess that's why I I typically refer to it as safety and survival. What he taught me to do and the way he trained me as a kid is what most people call survival. Back then, I was just doing it for fun. I thought it was just fun stuff, going out and living with minimal supplies and making a way of it, sometimes going out and spending time with, you know, a knife or maybe a knife and a tomahawk or something like that back in the day when I was a kid. So we did a lot of that and it was very fortunate that he had a a mind or an eye towards, um, I don't know, professional being a professional outdoorsman, meaning, Uh, not, not somebody that goes out and abuses the outdoors and destroys it, but rather has a mind and an eye towards working with it. He didn't speak of it that way, but he, he just taught me not to throw trash down. You know, I think it's simple, but, uh, to, to, if I'm hunting to take care of the animals and consider that, you know, you're not just a stone cold killer, you're, you're part of the environment and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I was very fortunate to have that growing up and that's really affected who I am today for sure.
0: Right. Sounds like your dad was very conservation minded.
1: You know, he wouldn't call it that because he I don't think he would understand it in those terms, but he was. He was absolutely that. Uh, You know, there's a lot of I guess you can get into the semantics of things. And whether you're conservation, preservation, stewardship minded, these are all words that are important in their own right and they're very distinctly different and dad wouldn't think of it that way but he did instill some of those values in me for sure and and i've tried to expand upon them and i write about them pretty regularly for different organizations and and teach them at the university level now so it's it's a good position to be in
0: dude that's awesome it's so great you're here and so let's take all that and so we're going to be discussing this book which you all should have everybody get this book so over the next, I'm going to say it's going to take us at least 10 podcasts over the next whatever, however many months. We'll just work them in now and again, Craig. I just want to go through your book. We did a series on the Disaster Ready Home with Creek Stewart, and those videos where we just went chapter by chapter through his book are among the the most popular podcasts we have. And so I was just looking at your, mm, nice. your books again, and yeah, and I was, I was like... You know, Craig and I need to do that with a couple of his books. We're gonna do that with Extreme Wilderness Survival. Today we're gonna start in chapter one. And uh you need to get the book, but we're gonna even expand on the book through this podcast, but you're gonna need it for a reference. And we're gonna do another series. I'll just show you guys this. So Ultimate Wilderness Gear, fantastic book. Um, but today, Craig, so Extreme Wilderness Survival, was that your first
1: the first book that you wrote, first full book, um, yes, sort of. So the first book really? I wrote, I wrote in third grade. It's called Sam Snake.
0: <laughs> what Sam Snake? <laughs>
1: and uh, I, I, Sam Snake. I and, I and I and I. I'm not trying to be silly. Uh, I had a third grade teacher that encouraged me to be a writer, and I didn't. I didn't do anything with that until much, much, much later in life. But okay. I always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to write and I didn't really study how to write. I didn't study that in college. I have a degree in statistics, so I was stud- I'm was i very very much analytical in that regard. So um, I, I didn't think there was room or there was a place for me to write. And then as some of these folks that I was working with were pushing me and seeing that even though I'm a, a teacher of things outdoors, I'm very statistically minded and I like looking at data and I like destroying mm-hmm. myths. I'm a big fan of bull crap, lies, um, myth busting, uh, because the things that I like to share help people spend more time outdoors and when they do it, to do it safely. And so when I was looking, when I was being pushed by others to write a book on survival, I thought, you know, what can I contribute that's not already been done? Oh my gosh, there's hundreds and thousands of books out there, I guess, that, that cover the topic of survival. And so I went at it from the ground level, basically use my statistics understanding because that's the way I look at it. And what I mean by that is that instead of writing a book and just sharing my opinions, which is what most survival books are, I looked at the data. And what does the data say people need to understand? And so what I discovered by assembling about 200 pieces, 200 plus pieces of stories, uh, how people either experienced tragedy or they died in the wilderness, I looked at those and collected them and started looking at them as data and going, okay, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here, and started assembling that data to see the common threads throughout. And then I wrote a book, basically, to solve those problems. Mm-hmm. And that that's what Extreme Wilderness Survival is. That's my first book. It, it is basically a book that if you look at it, and you, or when you look at it and you read it, you're not going to think it's based on statistics because I don't talk about that. In the book, but that's the foundation of where it came from is looking at data going, okay? one of the big problems is people don't know how to communicate effectively. So I'm going to write some chapters on how to communicate effectively and work with others because that's important in survival situations. So that sort of thing makes its way into the book as well as a lot of other things that are not in your typical survival book. But quite frankly, there's a reason a lot of military and, you know, high Um, highly trained people use my book on the federal level because they know, I mean, they study it as a textbook for survival for good reason. Uh, it, it is, it's data based, it's factual based instead of just my opinions on different topics.
0: Yeah. One of the hallmarks of the book, Craig, and correct me if I'm wrong, every, the beginning of every chapter has a story about, about a actual situation that people had gotten in.
1: Yeah. And quite frankly, this is one of the beautiful things about working with a publisher and not self-publishing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with self-publishing, but there's just a lot of things about writing books that I did at the time, especially on the first one, I was just not cognizant of, I was just not good at. And the publisher was like, Craig, you got to put a story at the beginning of every book. And so I took one of those, because they knew my process of development for the book and and so they were like, well, why don't we just put those at the beginning of every chapter? And quite frankly, that's been at the beginning of every chapter of every book I've written. So that it's a hallmark of the way a lot of people do things, not just me, but definitely the way I do things. And I think, it, I think it's good. It illustrates a story. Typically, the stories at the beginning of the chapters are problems. And then the remaining of the chapter is the solution to the problem that arose in that story. That's if, if I was to distill it down to what is it, that's what it is, a problem and then the solution.
0: Yep. So for folks who are new to preparedness and survival, I think it can, I don't want to say, I think it can be overwhelming, but when I started to get into this, it was overwhelming. So just maybe, can you talk about how to help people who are just starting down this path, not to be overwhelmed and how your book and us going through the book is going to help them in that regard.
1: Yeah, um, and and again, thanks for having me on. I love talking about this stuff because I absolutely love helping people spend more time outside. And, and and as it relates to disaster readiness, there's so many things that have happened uh, for us even here in Kentucky, where I'm from. We had you know a tornado that destroyed 200 miles of land a couple years ago, and then eastern Kentucky flooding last year. Or so you know, all this stuff is relevant to, it's not just, hey, getting lost on a hunting trip or a fishing trip or hiking. It's it's all about taking care of our needs. But the way, the way I approached the subject after looking at the data is I kept collecting, again, these data pieces. And from a statistical standpoint, you just look at data as dots on a graph, really. And I kept seeing dots over here, 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 here. There were four big groupings of information. And the way I ended up breaking that into categories to, to try to get the message across is what I call mindset skills, tactics, and, and gear. And so that's the four primary sections in the book, and each one of those sections has a good three, four, five chapters on each one of those topics. So the reason I came about with that is that, What happened a lot is definitely what a lot of people see as skills are deficient in a lot of people. People don't know how to use a compass or they don't know how to build a fire in the outdoors. And then gear. Uh, People don't have the right gear. They walk into the outdoors in flip-flops and a T-shirt and a bottle of water, and I think they're ready. And so those two are big indicators of problems. That's skills and gear. Everybody, for the most part, knows that is likely culprits of causing problems for people. But the two things that also came up was... Again, what I categorized as mindset and, and tactics. Mindset being how do we strengthen our mind? How do we become more aware of what's going on around us? How do we do all the things that bulletproof our mind? And then the tactics, and I didn't use that term loosely. I know you like to use the word teamwork, and that's a good word. But uh, teamwork just means people working together, and tactics means people working together together for a strategy to come to a common end. And so that's the reason I use the word tactics, meaning, you know, how do people work together to achieve what it is they need to achieve and know that they have a strategy in place to make that happen down the road and, and make that happen. That's, that's the, the genesis of the idea was the data for sure, but the visual component to, to make that data easier to understand are those, what I call the four puzzle pieces of of survival mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. Meaning, to, to go into those a little bit, I know we're going to go into them in depth, but an overview of it is that a lot of people know that skills are important. Hey, building a fire, setting up a tent or a hammock or a shelter, um, knowing how to you know use a water filtration system. Those are all skills, knowing how to do that. And gear is something that a lot of people really dive into. As it relates to survival, bushcrafting, outdoorsmanship, hunting, camping, hiking, whatever it might be, gears, gears, can I just right? stop you know there?
0: That. Why do why do people go for yeah. gear so heavily from the beginning?
1: Um, you know, from from the way we are made, the way we're designed, we're t- tool users. The thing that separates us from other animals is that we have this opposable thumb, and because of that, we uh, we know how to use tools very well. So we're attracted to tools, um, and we have a long history of, as a species, humans, of realizing that these tools have made things easier. And we could really get into the the weeds on this one, but we are geared towards making things simpler for ourselves um, because we realize, hey, when we build a shelter, whether it's a you know a tarp shelter like we might do now, but let's say it was some other younger person two thousand three thousand or several thousand years ago then we know that shelter kept us out of the elements and building that was important and so we were able to cognitively know that whereas a lot of animals can't do that so that separates us so we're, we're too, we are tool users and because of that we're attracted to gear because they make life easier now the problem for us in the modern world, is that we don't necessarily need as many tools as we have, and so we're just attracted to the next shiny, cool thing that comes about because we think that might make our life easier, Mm -hmm. when in reality, the and this gets into the training side of things, and that could be a topic for another podcast, but the reality of things is for those of us that are preparing for survival or disaster readiness situations, we actually need to be doing just the opposite. We actually need to be engaging in things. What I like to say is learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Um, You know, meaning there's a, I've spent so much time outside. I spend a hundred plus nights a year out sleeping out somewhere. I don't have to necessarily do that. I could probably spend a lot of my time just writing and make a living from writing But being engaged in the outdoors helps me continue to develop the mindset that I feel is necessary to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Uh, I've got people that help me teach classes. I don't have to go out on every one of them. But three weeks ago, I was out in 95-degree heat with nothing but a knife doing a survival class, a knife-only survival class. So that goes back to what it is that I discovered in these four puzzle pieces is that the first one being mindset. We're... We, we have to develop our mindset and a lot of people go, well, you're just born with it or that's just the type of personality you have. And that's just absolutely 100% not true. Mindset development can be taught. Uh, I do it on, on a regular basis. I teach people how to do that. The military does a very fantastic job of that. Some people in sports do a fantastic job of that. Uh, missionaries do a fantastic job of that. I mean, there's all different sorts of ways that people have to deal with, you know, sucky situations and learn how to be a comfortable in them that's that's mindset skills again is the stuff that's obvious the the other piece of this puzzle that's not well well it's just not discussed it's not taught very well in the survival community is teamwork Um, I use the word tactics tactics has a little bit more of advantage of a word and it's not just semantics it's not just using a word because tactics really from my publisher perspective was going to be a detriment to the selling of the book because teamwork is a better word. your more understood word. But teamwork doesn't cover what I'm talking about. Teamwork is just people coming together and working. Tactics is where people come together and work to achieve a common end through, through strategic means. And so you have to really consider what it is that you're doing as a group And if that groups is 10 people or if it's just you and your wife or you and your kids, it doesn't matter who it is. Working together with people is critical and knowing that you're not, Hey, just working together for this moment. We're working together for a common end, which is for us to survive down the road. That's, that's tactics. So as a whole mindset, skills, tactics, and gear are the four puzzle pieces of survival from my perspective.
0: Good, good. So why don't we go ahead and just get into mindset a little bit more? And I think you, I think you did a good job. Add anything you want as to why it's first in importance, but I think you covered that pretty well. And so, do you have any? Well, Yeah, let, let me, maybe you can yeah, let me, me add to that. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, let me add to that right. because yeah, I I think I've made the I made the argument that it's important, and I think or at least I hope people will will uh, agree with me on that. But I I think we need to understand from a survival perspective, I think we can get pigeonholed into this survival thing, meaning, you know, worst case scenario. When in reality, we can live our best life and never deal with a survival scenario. Um, And part of that is because we do the things that are mindset development on a daily basis that just make us better humans and make us better fathers, mothers, friends, brothers, sisters, teammates, whatever it might be. And a lot of that is, you know, uh, uh, Marines are really fond of saying adapt, improvise, and overcome. I love that. That's a great way of teaching something that I would consider mindset development, meaning you're always looking at a situation. If there's a problem, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity to come up with a solution. Uh, that, that's mindset. Uh, learning how to adapt to situations and learn that there is a, quote, unquote, new normal, for example, is mindset development. Uh, learning how to be, I, I'm, I'm growing much, much fonder. Uh, I've been working, I'm part of a, a council called the National uh, Disaster Resilience Council. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of alphabet soup organizations and me, and I've developed some programming for them. And, and it's been quite a work for the last year and a half, and one of the words that we use a lot there that I think is really useful for us here is this word resilience. Um, you know mm. what it? In another word, that seems to come up really well is grit. What 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 is grit? What is resilience? Um, I had a good friend of mine. He came to one of our cl- he came to a Sear class that we were teaching. He wrote a book called Tough. Greg Everett. Highly recommend those of you that are listening get Greg's book uh, called Tough. That whole book is how to build resilience and how to build grit. Um, you know, grit might be two chapters in that book. It's a fantastic text on, on the things that we're talking about. Um, to go along with that, it's not just about learning how to be tough in tough situations and awkward situations and survival situations. It's also about how to stay calm, mainly because. When we get under heaping amounts of stress, whether it's a survival situation due to, you know, somebody's trying to assault us in a, in a convenience store parking lot or, you know, we've been thrust into a flood or we've gotten lost on a hike, our decision-making really goes out the window under stress unless one of two things happen. Either we have the ability to uh, stop what we're doing and bring some calmness to to our physiological problems, or we've trained so much that we're just used to it. Um, this is what we'll see in a lot of, you know, uh, I'm a big fan. I've trained some special forces. I've trained alongside a bunch of special forces. These guys are the epitome of when I say special forces, U S army is where I spent a lot of time training with these kind of guys. Um, they, they are the epitome for me. They're good examples for me to look and go, okay, they've done certain things a million times. And so under the stress of something, they just, they just do it. We should, and we're not going to be operators. We're not going to be special forces operators. But we've got to come up with ways to stay calm under stress. And one of the best ways to do that is to put yourself under healthy stress and work your way through it. Um, you know, just one very simple example of doing this is working out, you know, I work out every morning. I do some things that are really physically demanding on me. And I usually listen to, uh, motivational or educational content while I'm doing that. Sometimes I have to listen to hard music because it's just, man, I just don't feel like a day and I get the pump on and all that kind of stuff. But typically I'm trying to use my mental faculties in the midst of that stress. And if I can do that, then that really helps us connect the three segments of the brain basically the lizard brain the middle of the brain which is where most of the neural pathways exist and then our cognitive uh, frontal cortex so uh, once we connect those things under stress and learn how to cognitively think under heaping amounts of stress then we've taught ourselves to do it and so if other stress visits us then we have the capability to do that and that's that's kind of where we are Um, You know, there's some ways to do that. It's it's physical manifestation. A lot of people, including myself, I pray. uh, um, I meditate every day. And sometimes there's just, quite frankly, from a prayer perspective, from a faith based perspective, there's just things that I know I can't do. And so I just give it up. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't work towards it. That doesn't mean that I don't look for ways to put legs to my prayer life. I do. I I have a real problem with yeah, it. I hope and pray for you. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm always when I'm praying, I am seeking ways that I can put legs to the things that I'm praying for in my own life and other people's life. You know, it's not enough for me. And I'm preaching here, so let me have the pulpit a little bit, David. I hope that's okay. But it's <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not the guy to get to to send you a text and go, and I'm praying for you. Uh, I'm just not that guy. I'm the guy that wants to send you a text and say, I'm praying for you. Tell me what I need to do to do that. And I will offer suggestions to do that. How about I come over and mow your yard for you? I know you've been in the hospital. Let Let me help you with that. And sometimes I just get rude about it and I just go do it because I know people need that and it's been impressed upon me through my meditation or my prayer, or my quiet time, whatever, you know, people have different ways of approaching this. That's just my approach to it. And then expanding upon that, I think there's value in things like, you know, just, uh, I u- I'm going to use this term and I don't like using it, but I'm going to utilize it because I'm kind of studying the subject right now, manifesting positive thought. And, I'm really hesitant to use that, but I, I went ahead and used it, so I'm going to try to play with it a little bit here. But if if you're constantly thinking negatively, then a lot of negative things are going to happen to you. And I've dealt with this. Uh, I, I tend to go that direction just uh, the way some things that have happened to me in my life. But the more I find, and it's not that I think I'm I can force the future to happen because I think the future happens as it happens, but I certainly do see the value in, imagining, even meditating and praying, um, on the way I would like to see things happen. And then, then it seems like the more I do that, the more my thoughts are filled with ways to get that done instead of being upset about negative things as they're happening. So, you know, some people will call it just a positive thinking. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a real simple way of looking at a very difficult subject. Um, that's, it's, um, does that make sense what I'm saying? As is all this, yeah, it totally like makes you, sense. It make Craig, sense?
0: Uh, yep. Totally makes sense. Okay. And in fact in fact yesterday I was overwhelmed. It was a short shorter week because I had some things that needed to happen over the holiday weekend we just had. And so Monday started on Tuesday. <laughs> right. And I was I was overwhelmed, dude. I was just totally overwhelmed. Too much going on. All my fault. I I, I own that. And I just said, hey, I need, to, I need to get up to the loft. We have a loft in the house with a, a little mini workout room. And that's the room that I designed stuff, knives and everything in also. But I just went up there and just hit it pretty hard and uh, put on worship music. Speaking of you know, put on worship music that I knew was speaking truth to me. And, you know, I came out of there two year, two hours later. <laughs> Still was a busy, a busy day ahead of me and too much on my plate, but my attitude was completely changed. And I realized it wasn't all about me. I, I'm not going to be able to get everything done that I think I should be able to get done. And I can, you know... I can ask my wife for help. I can ask our team for help. I can ask the Lord for help, and I don't need to carry it all. And it completely changed my mindset. And it all started out, you know, I've have, have a history of working out, and and it all started with, uh, you know, just just hitting things a little bit hard, and, you know, knowing that I needed to retool my mindset, and there was there was a way to do that that was productive and positive. Nice, good. Yeah man, so that's good. Um I'm just going to look at the time because I don't know where you're going to go with this. I feel like I feel like there's a problem. And the problem is we have we have this whole culture that seems to be especially with young people enabling them to take on a victimhood mentality and I think that's very detrimental. It's a detrimental mindset. I'm just curious What you think about the problem that we have and that people that are, that have had destructive, maybe accusatory mindsets towards others, how can they get out of that?
1: Well, um, every generation probably looks at the generation coming behind them and thinks they've got it easier or they're a problem because they're not doing the things the way I did them. Uh, it seems to be and just if I look at history, it seems to be the case. So it would be my observation that looking at the generation that's coming up behind us, there is some things that seem to be missing. And I think it's a product of us continuing to make things easier on one another. And, you know, I'm guilty of it, too, to, to an extent. You know, I wanted my children's lives to be easier than the one that I've had at the same time i recognize that my children's lives if they were just made to be super simple and easy then they wouldn't have the ability to overcome struggles i think the hardest part about being a parent in particular is allowing your children to struggle and so i think most of us look at the generation that came behind us that's coming behind us and says okay they're 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 soft or whatever and i think the if i were to come up with one word it would be the word discipline that seems to be missing in the current generation that's coming behind us and i'm not i I just don't see it uh as much as i did when i was in school and the people that are around me when i when i say when i was in school you know i played sports but i also looked at the guys and gals that uh That played sports, the guys and gals that were incredibly intelligent, that studied harder than I did, the farm boys that worked on the farm every day, the the people that stayed at home and took care of little brothers and sisters because they had to. That all requires discipline to be able to do that. It doesn't have to come out of sports or farming or whatever, which were my particular experiences, but there's all these things that force us to be disciplined, causes us to do things when we don't necessarily want to do them, but we do them anyway. And so um that seems to be missing right now and i think that's helping to to um allow this generation that's currently coming up behind us to be missing that and I think that's a serious problem that we need to help them with um i, I don't know if that means that we at least influence our grandchildren when we have access to them or the people who are of that age like you know I've I've seen this as a problem and, and I've got a lot of people around me that continually complain about this generation. Um, it, Cause a lot of people do complain about this generation and the complaints are, are are warranted. I'm not saying that that's a problem, but just like I was talking about my prayer life, instead of me going, eh, that's a problem. I'm doing something about it. I started engaging in some volunteer activities where I get to work with kids that are middle school, high school age, And I'm instilling discipline in them because instead of me just complaining and moaning and groaning about it, I'm doing something about it. I, number one, I did it with my own children. Um, I I put them in positions where they had to deal with difficult situations and I allowed them to do that and was there to help them, but not, I didn't pick them up and carry them through all of it on purpose. And that's hard. That's very hard as a parent but I'm also not just a complainer about this generation and not doing anything about it. Uh, that, that I see as being a, as significant a problem as the people that don't have the discipline is that people that do have discipline are not taking their ability to communicate effectively and help others develop that discipline.
0: That's good, Craig. I, I think that a couple of things that have already been said here, um, in maybe different ways, People need to realize they can do a lot more than they think, and a good way to train yourself is to intentionally do hard things. Do something, you know, if you've never been camping, go camping in your backyard. You know, just doesn't have to be the hardest thing. Do it progressively and keep moving forward. So so back to this whole mindset. In chapter one here, you're talking about systems of survival. Do we, I believe we have a system of survival that's been used by the US military that that you and I've talked about a bit before that you've incorporated. and you know let's just say for instance, this actually happened with somebody who went to one of the trainings you and I did together. Two days after we did a training, uh, a friend of mine who was who was at our training here in Pennsylvania contacted me and said, "Hey, I was in a pretty bad accident. The car rolled over flipped. I was upside down and I applied STOPA. Do you want to tell us what STOPA is?
1: Yeah. So STOPA is that thing that's going to help us overcome those physiological problems that we're experiencing under stress, no matter what that stress is. And whether you're arguing with your spouse over an insignificant issue, you're in a car wreck or you're lost in the wilderness, it doesn't matter, is there's gotta be something that kicks us out of this rut that we're in where it's causing continued problems. Um, I use an acronym. I stole it straight from the military. Um, uh, when I say stole it, I mean, it's part of survival manual and teaching for decades now. Uh, I actually added an A to it and I discovered after I had done this, that, uh, Cody Lundine had done the same thing. I don't know who came first. Um, but I know that he does it as well, but it, it, he uses different, letters. I mean, he used different references for the letters, but very similar mindset. STOPA is stop, think, observe, plan, and actively stay alive. And so what that means is in any given survival situation, the S represents you just stop what you're doing you sit down. Okay. Again, I mentioned earlier, there's two things to help you develop the ability to work through stress. One is to train through it. The other one is to stop what you're doing, uh, sit down. Uh, When we're under heaping amounts of stress, we have Lots of physiological issues, auditory exclusion, tunnel vision, our heart rate rises, blood pressure rises, adrenaline dump. The only way to solve those things again is to train through them or to stop whatever it is that you're doing. Because once it gets going, we are built for that stuff to stay there because it helps us survive, literally, uh, from a long period of history. So the the T in STOPA means think the way i use that is we think about what we have on us what we have with us that we could utilize to affect our survival what kind of supplies do we have if we recognize okay i'm missing this then we then o observe our surroundings and see what we can take from our immediate surroundings or even farther away if we feel necessary what can we take from our surroundings by observing it to affect our survival then we p we make a plan uh i I kind of take this really far when I'm training people because I think the planning aspect and at least the communication and working with other aspect of survival is critical because in those 200 stories where I gathered people where they experienced these bad problems, uh, there was a large number of them that were caused by inability to communicate effectively under stress. And so making a plan, communicating a plan, that doesn't mean that you're stuck to it. I still highly recommend adapt, improvise and overcome, but at least let's make a plan and let's just start working that plan. So we have something to focus attention on. And then a is actively stay alive in your head, have a reason in your head that you want to stay alive, have an end goal, have an end result that you want to achieve. And then, then that will help you sometimes. And we've done training like that. I've done numerous trainings like this where the A that is helping you stay alive is that I'm going to stay alive and exist for one more second. And then you're going to do it another second and then another second or another minute or I'm going to stay alive for this minute. And then because there's just times where life just sucks for all of us. And the only way to get through it is to realize, okay, I'm going to make it another 10 seconds. And at the end of that 10 seconds, I'm going to do everything I can to make it another 10 seconds. And then by the time you add those up, you're, you're continuing to survive and you've made your way out of a situation. So that's, that's Stop, Think, Observe, Plan, and Actively Stay Alive.
0: Good stuff. So let's go ahead and take a look at skills. Um, we're going to go through this extensively throughout the book. But how about some essential skills that everybody should learn?
1: Well, I think the skills go along with another piece that sometimes I throw into mindset. Sometimes I throw it into skills, which is basically understand the law of rule of threes. And and that is a very general understanding of what our needs are as humans. And this is where the statistical side of me mm-hmm. comes into play. Meaning, you know, this, right now what we're discussing, the skills building portion of survival training is where I start to diverge from a lot of people. Because a lot of people will focus attention on things that really are wasted energy and time.
0: Yeah, we're basically talking about priorities and uh, essentially, like, what's going to kill you first, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, our priorities are survival, L- law threes. You know, you, you know, a lot of people in, in, you know, bad weather are going to go about getting the milk and the the bread because they know the storm's coming. But real in reality, you don't need to be worrying about that because it's weeks down the road before you'll starve to death. What you really need is make sure you got core body temp taken care of and you got first aid supplies and things that go along with it. So... You know, skills building needs to be based upon our priorities of needs, not our wants. And it seems like, and what I was mentioning is, you know, and this is where I, you know, I get off on a tangent, and I and I just don't care what people think, really, because uh, that's what I'm here for. Is is, uh, bow drill fire making is a great thing. I teach it in bushcraft classes. We've had to do it in level three classes of survival because we walk in the woods with nothing but a knife in class, but really that's a contrived situation. Realistically, the best thing to do is carry a lighter in your pocket and always have it with you. I mean, have those kind of supplies that are going to make your life so much easier because making a bow drill fire sucks. It's hard. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. If even the remote smallest thing, like high humidity is happening, it makes it extremely difficult. So These are the things where we understand our priorities and go, okay, I can't make that happen from the environment, so I better be taking some gear to take care of it. Um, Same thing is true for, you know, a femoral bleed or a brachial artery bleed. If I get shot or get cut on my femoral artery, you know, a belt, it's going to be okay, but it's you need a tourniquet because a tourniquet's better. So have a tourniquet with you or near you nearly all the time. Uh, these are things where we look at our priorities because if I don't have the right thing to stop a femoral bleed, then I've got two minutes and I'm going to die. If I don't have the things that will keep my core body temp warm, I've got about, you know, three minutes and I'm going to die. And that's what the law of threes is three minutes for blood flow and oxygen flow, three hours for core body temp, three days for water, three weeks for th- food, and three months without human assistance. So those are our needs in order. We need to be taking care of those and know, Hey, we need to build our skills around those things. You need to have some first aid skills. A lot of people bypass first aid skills in, in survival training, which has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life because we're more likely to get hurt in a car wreck or be near somebody that gets hurt in a car wreck long before we're ever lost and have to build a bow drill fire in a survival situation. I mean, that's just highly, like, statistically, this is where that statistics keeps popping up and it aggravates people, but statistically, that's going to happen. We're going to be in a car wreck or be near one where we could actually help somebody live or not have experienced severe physical problems just by knowing first aid skills. So why not study first aid skills as a survival skill? It's, It's crazy to me.
0: Okay, Craig, this has all been really good. So I get it. We're get, we need to prioritize our skills based on what's going to kill you first, basically. That's my words. But So why don't you run through the rule of threes one more time, and let's just assign some specific skill areas, not necessarily specific skills, but skill areas that people really ought to account for, and then maybe prioritize them based on the rule of threes first.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's easy. Um, and, and let's expand upon it so we get everything covered. So you got three seconds. I, I like to say three seconds because of safety, personal defense, self-defense, and that sort of thing. Okay. You, you want to make sure you get off the X. You want to know how to do self-defense and the things that go along with it. Can't live more than three minutes without blood flow and oxygen flow. That's why you need to study first aid. Can't live more than three hours without maintaining your core body temperature. That's why you need to know shelter building, what kind of clothes to wear, how to build fires, how to maintain or get core body temperature from the environment. Can't live more than three days without water. That's why you need to study water filtration and purification. Those are two totally separate and different things, and there's a lot of garbage information out there as it relates to water filtration and purification. You can't live more than three weeks without food. That's when you need to understand how to forage for plants, how to trap gig, how to store food for long-term disaster and readiness. And you can't live more than three months without human assistance. Uh, We know from long thousands and thousands of years of history that people always tribed up. They utilize one another to help affect a certain end. Therefore, learning how to work with other people is an essential part of any survival plan.
0: All right. I think you covered those really good. And since we ended on the three months and companionship and working together and all that, that takes us to segment three and tactics slash teamwork. Yeah, I think
1: I think this is a a, if there's one aspect, I think a lot of people understand that mindset is important. They don't know how to achieve it. Mm -hmm. But I think people can buy into that rather easily. This is the one that I get a lot of trouble with, uh, people in the survival bushcraft community. I love talking about this because, uh, there's a lot in the survival community that are lumps, and they're, you know, they're going to go off into the woods and live by themselves and live off the land and, and, or they're, they're only focused on themselves as far as it's, it's related to inside their own home. And I'm not saying that there's not value in developing your family as a unit, not saying that at all. Um, but Typically, what we know from historical accounts from like large spread disease, uh, large scale disaster readiness uh, and lost person situations, all of them are better and more equipped when they can work positively with other people, Uh, meaning if you're in a neighborhood, get to know your neighbors. If you're on a farm or a homestead or out in the wilderness or away from people, then you still need to know who's across the fence, you know, a half a mile down the road or whatever. You need to know these people Mm -hmm. because in a particularly in a large scale disaster, I mentioned earlier, I'm doing some work with the NDRC, the National Disaster Resilience Council. That council is basically overseeing the study and uh, preparations for a large scale, what they're referring to as a black sky event, what most people in survival community would call an EMP. Whether that's natural, man-made. We know there's legitimate intelligence that says that they're trying to do this. Other entities have been trying to do this for a while and we've stopped them. There's natural things that can happen with the sun that would cause a large-scale EMP. Um, So in a large-scale event of something of that sort, you're gonna wanna know your neighbors. Uh, The modeling that people that spend their whole, and I'm not talking about the average ordinary person that gets on social media and reads a book or watches a TV show. I'm talking about people that spend every moment of their work life studying these types of events. That's who I'm working with. These people have models that prove that in a large scale event like that, 30%, I mean in 30 days, 60% of the population will be dead. And in 60 days, 90% of the population will be dead. And so if that's the case, the the data that is out there and there's, I I used to even, even though I study this intently, being with this organization for the last year and a half has proven to me that that's going to happen because there's so much that goes into it. And I've got a podcast on my uh, podcast that discusses that with Stephen Volant, who's uh, a disaster readiness planner. Anyway, the point being is that that's realistic. It's a very likely uh, eventuality. And one way to overcome it is to learn how to work with people that are around you. That's people inside your home, your neighbors, the people in your community. Learn how to come together as a community. You know, our communities are so divided right now. I mean, even the smallest of things like one arrest of one individual can cause uh, riots and problems throughout the whole country because we're divided right now. Uh, That's an indicator of it. So do what you can to figure out how to get along with people that are not like you. Uh, and and when you can't know how to protect it and take care of it, um, I don't want to be, ooh, kumbaya, sunshine, peace and love either. There's a time that people will try to take stuff that is not theirs, and you need to be the determining factor of who gets to partake in that and who doesn't. So you need to be able to protect it as well.
0: Good, good. So, what I'm part of what I'm hearing you say too is if you live in an urban area. It's going to be a lot more difficult for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've said it for years. The way I like to approach the subject, at least, is that you know, wilderness survival is all about trying to find people, and urban survival is all about getting away from most people—not all, but most. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it seems that you need to know you need to know who you can trust. That's important. It's not that you're just working with individuals and everybody. And and again, it's not those situations are not going to be a kumbaya, sunshine, peace, and love at what I call SPL. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be ugly. Uh, but you need to know who you can trust, who you can trust to, you know, uh, run security so that you can get some sleep. Uh, we all need sleep. And so it, it might be that the only people you can trust to do that are the people in your house. You need to train on how to do that. Um so if you're not training on how to do simple things like that, then when it comes time to do it, it's very problematic. I mean, it's simple. I mean, this past year, we, we lost our electricity here in Kentucky, which doesn't happen very often. We lost it. I, I want to say it was about four or five days, and it was considerably cold. And the reason we lost our electricity because it was cold. I mean, we got below zero, which, again, does not happen for us here very often. So it's a thing that a lot of people are unprepared for. But one of the things that had to happen is we had to have a schedule of making sure that the resources that we we were utilizing in my home were continuing to run and nobody fell asleep. So we had around the clock coverage in my home with just my family on security and making sure that that our core body temperature was being maintained in those four days. And so it was tiring, but we had a schedule. We knew how to do it. We had practiced that. We had discussed that. I've trained people on how to do this. And so it's, it's just something you need to put into practice. That's for sure.
0: So how can people find these people that can be part of their team, part of uh, somebody who can help them execute what is necessary? Man, that's a game our situation. question, isn't it?
1: Uh, I get that asked a lot. I get asked that a lot. you got to look in your communities of people where you're already existing. So if you like to do recreational sports and and you're playing, you know, pick up ball with people then find people that you're already recreating with. If you're in a church, find people within Mm -hmm. your church. If you're, um, you're spending so much time at work, you know, strike those conversations up about a TV show, for example, what do you think about that TV show alone? And see what people say when you start talking about survival. You'll find out real quick. Some people think it's crazy talk. Some people think it's, man, I, I, I really like it. it. It teaches me this or whatever. And then you can start to find your type of people. I think that's one of the greatest things that have happened with survival TV. That that you know, I, I, I talk negatively about all that stuff pretty regular. But one thing that is very positive is that it's a conversation starter to find the people that are going to be your peeps the people that you can trust, the people you can count on. Um, and then find out if you know if they're interested in getting together and training some because that's where the rubber meets the road. When you get together and find out, well, that person can't carry a load or that person can't um, do the things that are necessary, they can't stay awake. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they're don't. they just lazy or, they're, or whatever. Then you need to be able to find those people ahead of time. You know, Cooper said that people don't rise to the equation the occasion they default to their level of training. And so it doesn't matter. People just simply don't rise to the occasion. They, they default to their level of training. And so it's, it's a matter of learning who can get into the training and at least know how to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and come out the other side instead of just whimpering and crying and falling into a heap.
0: And you can do trainings. Craig, I know you're located in Kentucky, and I know a lot of the folks that regularly attend your trainings. Um, if there's something local to you, that's great. If not, move closer to uh, Kentucky and <laughs> join in on well, Craig's
1: classes, yeah, right? There's Yeah, there's two, three ways. I mean, I, we can talk about this later, too, but I know you have some online training, obviously, that's free and paid. Uh, I have online training that's mm-hmm. free and paid. Uh, we have in-person training. That's a great way to meet people uh, and find who your peeps are. A lot of my community of people are people that I have met at classes, and not everybody is ready to, to engage in serious survival training, but I can definitely find the ones that are at a class. That's for sure. Um, and then there's, there is, there is you know, we have online training too. I have a, this, I have a course called Mindset, Skills, Tactics, and Gear that's a free course on my website. So people can engage in that and there's conversations. There's conversations happening inside that course among people where people are finding one another and, and doing things like that. So it's it's building communities far and away from me. But with that said, I've got people that come from other countries, you know, across the ocean to train with me. So it doesn't matter where you are in this country. It's, it's worth a shot to come train with us, that's for sure.
0: Yep, I agree. When I train, I train with Craig. So... Uh, I know one thing for us, when the whole COVID thing went down and everything was locked down, we were at the time commuting about 35, 40 minutes to a church. And, you know, we loved the church and everything. But we started to think, you know, we really need to bring things closer to home because we have participated in local churches, you know, within 10, 15 minutes of where we live. And you know that just convinced us to do so. And we're currently in a church where there's a lot of people. Of course, I live in a rural area. It's so a lot of people that uh, take self-reliance and preparedness seriously. So that's good. That's a good place to look. Yeah, I, I, you know,
1: that, you know, and I try to have solutions for people that live outside my faith too, because I, you know. Obviously church is one of the best places to find these kind of people, but there's other folks that don't attend church and I, I want to have an answer for those folks too. Um, you know it might be a re- I mean it might be a reason to come to church, right? <laughs> so I mean if, if it's right, to right. find a self-reliance community, then you know go to church to find it. Uh, you might find something else you like there too. but at the same time, uh, figure it out. Uh, the best thing is to reach across the fence and shake your neighbor's hand. And talk to them because they are the people. And this happened in that situation that happened last year. I had two neighbors that came to me with needs. And again, I want to be clear. I decide what things I'm going to share with people and what things I'm not going to share with people. And I know how to protect that stuff that I don't want to share that is there just for my family. But I also have some things that I'm willing to share and trade and whatnot with other people. I, I had a I had an instructor years ago who was a tactical shooting instructor. He was talking about survival and disaster readiness, and he said this man, and it struck me uh, as a survival instructor. It was like eye-opening. He's like, you know, everybody talks about the, the, the person that's coming to your house with a firearm and they're going to kick in the door and steal your stuff. And he said that's not the person that's going to be coming to your door. It's going to be a seven-year-old little girl. And her mom and dad are dead because they died in the whatever happened, right? Are you going to kick that kid in the face and, and tell him no and not help him? There's just a lot of people. When I share that story or that concept to people, they go, "Yeah, I am," and I, that's just not me, you all. Uh, I think there's and this this gets into another whole philosophical discussion, maybe a religious discussion, but but there's a point where surviving goes against our own humanity. And I think we need to have that at the Mm -hmm. forefront of who we are, or we're no different than the animals that are out there. And so I think something that separates us apart is our humanity, is our ability to sympathize, not empathize with other people. And I think that's something to at least consider. But again, I want to be clear. I want to take care of it. it's, It's kind of like a first aid. There's a first aid adage out there of you're number one. If I've got somebody I need to take care of in first aid, I've got to take care of myself first because if I go out there and get hurt, then two people are hurt. Same thing is true in survival. I'm going to take care of myself and mine, definitely. Top priority. I'm doing everything I can to take care of my wife, my children if they're here, uh, the people that I want to take care of, and then I can possibly take care of other people. If I'm giving all my stuff away, then we we got two families or three people that are three families that are in the hole, and that's just not a good situation.
0: That's good stuff, Craig. Now let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, gear. Now, before we get into the rest of this podcast, I want to invite you to go check out the mothership for this podcast, UltimateSurvivalTips.com. While you're there, join our weekly survival emag for survival and preparedness tips, news, exclusive behind-the-scenes updates, subscriber only discounts, and chances to win gear like the survival knife that blew up Kickstarter. Our very own MSK1 multi-scenario knife, which is now available in four models to fit any budget. So here's the deal when you engage with us over ultimate survival tips.com share this podcast or buy any of our product innovations you're partnering with us to accomplish our mission to help everyone everywhere gain the mindset skills tactics and gear knowledge they need to survive any emergency crisis or disaster in a positive and productive way thank you all for your continued encouragement and support now let's get back into today's podcast all right dude let's talk about some gear
1: man, isn't it the thing that everybody likes to talk about good gravy uh, and, and for good reason. And it's, it's one of the things that brings balance to a lot of the other three components that I've been discussing that are problematic. For example, you know, if, if I go into a wilderness situation and I have to construct anything, I have to cut cordage, I have to build a shelter, whatever. I like having a knife, right? But I don't want to have to mm-hmm. make that knife out of the environment. I, even though I studied flint napping and i know how to do that i would rather just have a knife because a knife just makes it easier so if if we can all agree that that is true something as simple as that is true then everything else related to gear is very similar to that meaning if i can take some things that make my shelter better why wouldn't i if i can make some things that make water filtration and purification better why wouldn't i the hard part is that you end up putting so much stuff together, you got an 80-pound pack, and you never train on carrying an 80-pound pack. So where do we go about deciding what stays and what doesn't? You really need to train with your gear. Okay, I, I talk about it, and Tracy Trimple, another instructor with our school, we've done a podcast, and we've talked about this numerous times. The difference between uh, practicing and training, there's a big difference practicing is where you get a new piece of gear and you just get out and practice with it. And training is the end result. And, there, and there, there can be several steps in here, but training is where you put yourself under simulated stress and you train with the gear and find out what works and what doesn't work. For example, there's some water filters that are some of the best selling water filters in the world. Okay. For good reason. But there's some things that we have done in training where they just did not work. And mm-hmm. our students know that I've, shared that information numerous times, but we would not have known that had we not put ourselves in 13 degree temperatures and trained with the gear. So that, that's critical. So it's, there's a difference between getting your backyard and creating a fire with ferro rod that you bought off of Amazon uh, or using a, a small survival kit or even a big survival kit in the backyard. I think there's incredible value in that. I really do. I mean, especially on a new shelter, A lot of times I'll test gear out in my backyard. If it doesn't work, I just go in the house. (laughs) So, I mean, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. But there's also times where I throw it on my back and I go outside and, and, and get busy with it. So I think that's the key is that you need to consider it that way, the training aspect of it. But you also need to know that even if you get a recommendation from somebody like me or David or you pick up my book or the Tiny Survival Guide or any number of these things, these are all fantastic resources but they need to be, or you need to read them in in the way I try to present the material that I presented is that I try to present the material so that you can make the best decision for you because your needs are different than mine. You know, 15 years ago, I had two kids at home. Now I don't, Uh, I don't, my children are up and out of the house now. And uh, 15 years ago, I was much younger than I am now. And so I had a different physical capability. So what I could carry then is different than what I can carry now. And what I needed to carry then is different than what I need to carry now. So what I need to carry in the wintertime is different than what I need to carry in the summertime. I mean, these are all things that need to – you can't have a kit that just the end-all, beat-all. This is my kit. It's going to work 12 months out of the year for every situation. It does do that. It ebbs and mm-hmm. flows. And this is very hard if you're in the, the business of what I'm in the business of doing, which is teaching people to – to not give people a list of things and go, okay, get this and you're ready because you're not. You need to get that list. You need to get those things. You need to practice with them, train with them. If it doesn't work for you, find an alternative um, and, and then apply that. You know, David and I are a perfect example. I live in Kentucky. We don't get much snow at all here. David gets snow all the time. You know, His kid's going to look different than my kid. It better because he's got different situations than I do without a doubt. So, these are all things that you need to consider in an overall, because I know we're going to come back on another podcast and discuss in detail gear, which you all need to come back for. But in an overview, the bird's eye view of it, that's that's the perspective that I have on it.
0: That's a really good perspective. I know for me, Craig, I've got two bins that are strategically placed right next to my hiking backpacks. And I'll tell you, the gear in those packs is never the same. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the hike. Depends on yeah. the time of the year. Depends on the duration. Is it just a day hike? Is it a, are we just going for a couple hours? Is it a hard hike? Are we you know, going out for three days? It, it does. And that's where it can start to feel complex. Mm-hmm. And in future podcasts, what we're going to do is we're going to try and help you decide on a, a workable kit to start sure. with. And we're going to start with knives. Yeah, we're going to start with water purification, fire, all that, uh, to help you hone in on the gear that you really. Yeah,
1: need. for the listeners that picked up on what I was saying, I didn't. I, I didn't want to confuse people and say you can't come up with a basic kit. You can. You need to absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, my perspective is I call it tiers of gear: tier one, two, three, and four. And yep. basically, you know, tier one's what everybody thinks is sexy and likes to talk about is EDC, what you carry every day. And so these, you know, you build upon that, the things that you're going to carry every day, what happens after that is tier two, three, and four, how to go about looking at that, you know, we'll discuss in future podcasts, but at least start looking at the podcast or start listening to the podcast, start looking at these references that David has mentioned and and let's take it from there.
0: Yep. So real quick, Craig, before we get into the piece of gear that you inadvertently just mentioned in that segment, Um, we're going to just do a quick look at an everyday carry piece of gear that I think everybody should have. And it, it's really, uh, something that reflects a lot of what we've been talking about here, but I have a question for you, Craig, before we get into that, what would you consider the differences between gear and supplies? Because, uh, I may name this podcast five pillars of, of preparedness. Um, we talk about mindset, mindset skills, tactics and gear here. And then throughout the rest of the episodes, uh, drawing from your book. But how would you differentiate gears, gear and supplies?
1: Um, I know that you do and I don't, uh, and both, okay. both of us are right because I, it's, it's not some kind of philosophical discussion either. Um, for me, for me, the way I look at things is that there are needs and we need to find the answer to those needs. And so, for me, I like to have the perspective, okay, what do I need that, that is going to take care of those needs? Some of those things, and it seems like, if I understand things correctly from your perspective, which is a great consideration. I love how you write this up with supplies. Uh, supplies, I think, from your perspective, are typically perishable-type items that you're going to have to resupply and get get more of. Commodity. Yeah, yeah. Th- and that's not a bad idea. I just think of it from, okay, we need food or we need water. And how do we take care of that in the short term and the long term? Like, I think, you know, on my free course, I have a downloadable document called Long Term Water and Food Storage Guide. It's a 10 page document or something like that on my free course. And that, I think it's semantics here with me and you, but that goes into supplies basically is what kind of things do, how do I take care of my short term needs? How do I take care of those needs in the long term? And Short-term, we usually use up those supplies. How do we make sure that we take care of the – and have the gear necessary to make it long-term as well? Does that, is that kind of where your mindset is on supplies? Am I right on that? Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. Okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, basically, I I just generally think of supplies as commodities that expire. They're consumed or and, and they need resupplied. Mm. I mean, it could be battery, food, water. Right. could be money, fuel, electricity – uh, heating fuel, you know, whatever. So, I, I, one thing that we don't want to do is I don't want to complicate it for people. But um, you know, when I think of, especially when we get on the preparedness side, long-term preparedness, uh, I think supplies are an interesting to interesting thing to not necessarily have to differentiate mm-hmm. from gear. But um, but I think it's you know it's I think we're on the same page. Good. Good. Yep. Cool. So, Craig, I think through the series I'd like to, because people love gear, I would love to do just uh, kind of like a flash gear review. And today I'm pulling out of my wallet here something that you and I both worked on, a tiny survival guide. Um, Could we say that we read all these books? I, I saw this commercial for something else. I read all these books, I did all this training so you don't have to and I I condensed it down to this that you can put into your wallet. Uh, You want to just take people through what the Tiny Survival Guide is and why we came up with it and why you're still pretty jazzed about it and you talk talk about it to uh, a lot of the people that you train with. I think
1: there's two things that come out of the Tiny Survival Guide that are incredibly beneficial. One is that it's a training resource. We've talked a lot about training. So you get it as a reference tool. You go through it and you go, okay, I don't know how to do that. Well, you figure out how to do that. And you can use the guide as the bulleted point list of things that you need to do to be able to make that happen. And then, and I'm going to be clear, I think this is secondary to that. I think that's the primary use of that tool, the, the Tiny Survival Guide, because... As a as a
0: as a uh, proactive absolutely guide because to if we're beforehand. not
1: proactive then we are we're not going to make it you all and so listening to this podcast well let, let me let me say it this way because <laughs> I like sharing that this people learn by three different ways they learn by listening to people talk about things they learn by watching people do things and they learn by themselves doing things so one way you can listen to things is podcasts that's why you're listening to this podcast. You can listen to things as you read books because you're listening in your own head. You can listen to people lecture and discuss and and the things that happen ad nauseum out there. You can watch people do things. That's where you can get into your YouTube videos. You can get into online training. You can get into in-person training where you literally watch somebody that knows what they're doing doing things. But if you want to have skills that become yours – that are not something that you just casually watch and enjoy and entertain yourself with, that you make your own. You've got to be in the business of doing things. And so what the tiny guy does, tiny survival guy does is it basically gives you a list of the things that you should be doing ahead of time. So you can go down that list and you can get out your water filter and you should filter some water and see what comes up with it. What doesn't work, what works for it. One of the things that I love that we put in there is the troubleshooting sections. The troubleshooting sections, and, and some of it's just built right into the content, but some of it's just listed that directly. That kind of stuff is built off of me cranking out a lot of time in the field, you all. I mean, it's not me going to chat GPT and writing a bulleted list of information and just vomiting that out and me not know it. It's me in the field training uh, military personnel, uh, federal first responders, and average ordinary people like me and you. That's where a lot of that troubleshooting came from. And so the Tiny Guide does that exceptionally well as a training tool. Then, secondarily, I see it as a as a reference tool, uh, meaning I just wrote an article for Field and Stream where I highlighted the Tiny Survival Guide in small uh, carry-in-your-pocket survival kits. They asked me to write an article on that. And, you know, I made it clear there you know, if you're doing survival right, there's going to hope be a whole lot of just sitting around, not burning resources, not burning water, not burning calories uh, when when the situation allows it. So why not have something that you can reference and go, oh, man, I never thought about that. But again, I want to say that's secondary, definitely secondary to utilizing it as a, a training tool.
0: Good stuff. So, Craig, since you mentioned chat GPT. I asked it to review the tiny survival guide. Are you interested in hearing what it said? Yeah. <laughs> it said basically what you said.
1: <laughs> I wrote it. Uh, and, well, we wrote it. So right. I mean, I don't, I don't care what ChatGPT's got to say about anything that I, that I say. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm totally opposed to AI. I do use it on occasion to, to try to get some different ideas. But you know, you. AI is great for some things, but it ain't out in the field with me. <laughs> it's just not there. I know what works and what doesn't work.
0: All right, guys. So I will not read. <laughs> if if you want to read the review from ChatGPT, just because I don't want to offend Craig, um, go get the show notes over at UltimateSurvivalTips.com. Click the podcast tab, and then there's going to be a tab there for show notes. You can read what ChatGPT said, which is, Craig, is actually really good. Um, but here's the most important thing, guys. We have not only the tiny survival guide um, that we have tested in the field. Part of uh, Craig helped me significantly with uh, four years of survival training here in Pennsylvania. And part of what I did during that is I was, in a sense, developing the tiny survival guide also Along with training with Craig and lots of discussions that we've had and back and forth putting that together. But after that, I also put together the tiny first aid guide. So we talked about the rule of critical rule of threes, we talked about safety and security three seconds, three minutes. First aid is a big one. Um, you're going to love this professionally illustrated. No, I did not illustrate this one. I actually had some professional illustrators, uh, worked with some. First responders, uh, proof this with military professionals. So we've got all of that stuff in there. The big thing is we want to get those in your hands. So here's a deal. I want to give you guys a deal. So we want to put these together as a combo, and I'm going to give you 50% off. So it's like a buy one, get one free. So you're going to get for the price of normal price of the tiny survival guide, you're going to get the tiny first aid guide too. So, to get the tiny survival guide and the tiny first aid guide, go to ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash combo. That's going to take you to the combo of these two. And then at checkout, put in combo, C-O-M-B-O 50 at checkout for 50% off any number of combos that you want for yourself, your families, or your friends. How's that sound? Sounds good. I'm looking it up right now. That's the beauty of being in front of See if you can do it. Yeah. That's uh, right. yeah. It so it's cool. easy enough. That's super easy. Yeah. Yeah, just click on it. And here, here's, Craig, I get this all the time. Uh, look at the reviews for the Tiny First Aid and Survival Guide. Uh, what you're going to find is people often will get one, and then they'll buy a bunch of them. So with at this particular time of this recording, Christmas is not that far away. Although it's the hottest day of the year here in Pennsylvania, uh, you want to be thinking about, you know, stocking stuffers and you know gifts that have some sort of value beyond socks and stupid electronics that break. Uh, think about the tiny first aid and survival guide. This is a one use. You can use the combo fifty one time per person, but you can get as many combos as you want. Does that make sense, Craig? So you can put in one, or you can put in five, and when you go to checkout, we're going to give you 50% off. Good Sounds deal? Like a good deal. Now, Craig, you can't buy them and resell them for that. All right. <laughs> Craig gets a better deal anyway. All right, guys. So in conclusion, Craig, uh, why don't you re- recap a few important points? take uh, maybe wrap that into some action steps for. Yeah,
1: folks. I think the big thing is to and this is a hallmark of the way I like to do things is keep it simple. The four puzzle pieces of survival are mindset skills, tactics and gear. And each one of those, you need to be engaged in something where you're learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations like challenge your mindset, challenge your skills, challenge your ability to work with others and challenge your gear in uncomfortable situations and your level of uncomfortability is different than mine. And so you need to do what is comfortable for you. If that means, Hey, you like my neighbor, I've got a neighbor here and his kid spent the first night that ever spent outside in a tent about three weeks ago. And he was, he was, he, nice. he contacted me and said, Hey, what do you think I should do? Is it you know think it's gonna be okay? And I'm like, Yeah, it's gonna be fine. They're gonna have a great time, they're gonna enjoy themselves. But make sure that they've got everything they need to be comfortable. Give them some snacks, because they, you know, they're kids, they like snacks. Make sure their bedding is incredibly comfortable. And make sure there's some sort of sound machine in there so so they don't get scared of all the nighttime sounds that they're not used to. And slowly over time, take that stuff away. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I think people make in learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations is they throw everything into uncomfortability and expect people to enjoy it and love it and then move on. And that just doesn't work that way. So I'm a slow burn kind of guy. Right. Yep. You know, slowly take some of these comfort factors away. And then, you know, you're ready to, to deal with a lot of stress. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. You don't want people walking away saying, and you don't want to do this to yourself. Hey, I'm out. Right. You know, whatever. Yep. Good, good. Okay. So next time, remember, this is a multi-part series off of Craig's book, which if you guys had not noticed earlier, I moved locations, Extreme Wilderness Survival. Pick up the book. Next time, Craig, we're going to discuss how to increase your situational awareness, avoid danger, and stay off the X or off the bullseye, meaning get out of, uh, Life-threatening situations. We're going to talk about the combat rule of three, how to develop a bulletproof mindset, and Craig, come prepared. We're going to do our favorite EDC knives and a lot more. What do you think? Sounds good to me, man. I'm all about some blades, bro. (laughs) I got some cool stuff to show you. All right, so Craig, how can people find you? Tell them anything you want about trainings coming up, your books. Um, uh, So everything's nature
1: reliance. Uh, where is Craig Coddle at? for sure. Uh, that's the website where you can find all the connections to me. I'm on all the social media platforms, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram. So you can find us there as well as Nature Reliance. Just look up Nature Reliance. Um, we have an online membership school now. So you can t- study with me from anywhere in the world. Um, I would recommend you get started on trying that by getting into the free course. Just go to classes and then free course on our website. And that'll get you uh, hooked right up into getting into a free course where you can study with us, and uh, it goes into great detail on mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. It's got all the downloadable documents I mentioned earlier, plus a lot more.
0: All right, guys, and also check out the the historical context, the all the content that Craig and I have done previously on the podcast. I mean, there's got to be there's got to be forty, fifty, sixty videos with both of us, some of them with just you, and also. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're watching on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And also, we are going to talk a lot about gear as we get into Craig's other book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, in a separate series coming soon. So check that out. And Craig, thank you, brother, so much here. for being with us. I look forward to talking to you good, next man. time, Thanks bro. For having me. Now, everybody, before we get out of here, don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast and share it with a friend so they don't show up at your house when things go bad. Also, go enter to win a $2,895 freeze dryer package at UltimateSurvivalTips.com forward slash freeze. And don't forget to go grab your tiny survival and first aid guide combo at UltimateSurvivalTips.com forward slash combo use code COMBO50, that's C-O-M-B-O, 50 at checkout for 50% off. And while you're there, grab today's show notes for free by clicking on the podcast link at the top of the page at UltimateSurvivalTips.com. All right, everybody, I think that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.